Welcome to the Alternative Design Podcast. We provide an opportunity for creatives to rethink space and how it's designed by inviting unlikely perspectives to the conversation. Whether we're looking at living probiotics for buildings or exploring the first city to be constructed on Mars, we believe there's innovation to be found in the margins. I'm your host, Kaylin Reed, Market Insights Leader for Campbell International. Join us as we dive deeper than the mainstream conversations and find alternative ways to design for a better human experience. We couldn't think of a better way to start season two than to go after the man. What man, you ask? The large wooden one in the middle of the Nevada desert. The annual event, known as Burning Man, features a ceremonial burning of a human effigy in a temporary city that is built to a surprising scale and then completely erased from what burners call the playa. Many describe the event as a cathartic way to let go of your emotional or even physical baggage. Others claim it is a massive countercultural statement that embraces the best values of humanity. And while you may have heard of the event as some sort of Woodstock 2.0 festival where freedom-loving artists party in the desert, Let's be totally clear up front that this is no Coachella and it's not a festival. You may be surprised to know that among the average 80,000 attendees that flock to Black Rock City annually for the Burning Man event, you will find some of the biggest tech CEOs, entrepreneurs, and celebrities. But Burning Man is for everybody, including designers who see it as a potential blueprint for our local urban cities. Black Rock City is unique in that it boasts an iterative design process that can be changed and improved upon year after year, something we don't see very often with our permanent structures. In this episode, we talk to Burning Man's Associate Director of Community Events, Stephen Raspa, and City Planning and Placement Manager, Bryant Tan, to explore what Burning Man has to offer the design community concerning innovation, radical participation, and risk-taking. This is Episode 9, Actions That Open the Heart. So for those that don't know, Burning Man began in 1986 on Baker Beach in San Francisco as really a simple family picnic and bonfire. The thing that was different about it was that Larry Harvey and his friend Jerry James built a sculpture of a human figure out of wood and burnt it at the beach instead of just a regular bonfire. And when they did that, people came from up and down the beach to join them and they had such a great time gathering and meeting one another that they decided to do it again next year. So it was repeated as an annual creative tradition on Baker Beach in San Francisco until 1990 when the beach authorities said, hey, what are you guys doing here? It had grown to be about 500 people. The little sculpture of the humanoid figure had grown to be 20 feet. And they said, you can't burn that thing here and you can't do this here again. So honoring the request, people gathered that day but did not burn the sculpture and then that same year moved out to the most remote location anybody could think of where they could kind of be away from the confines of polite society and went to the Black Rock Desert of Nevada and in 1990 had the first Burning Man gathering there and it's kind of been history ever since. It's ironic to me that a bunch of freedom-loving artists and free thinkers trying to get away from the confines of society to kind of do their own thing 
have ended up responsible for planning their own city and in some ways remaking aspects of society according to our own values as creative people. So it's a great irony that somehow we ended up being responsible for something that really was always intended to be just an expression of freedom and creativity without restrictions. This is Stephen Raspa, Associate Director of Community Events for Burning Man. What he's describing is basically a local event that started as a beach bonfire that has since evolved into a community of thousands that are drawn to the Nevada desert each year. Perhaps you've known someone who's attended, or maybe you've gone yourself. But Burning Man is an event unlike anything else. This is nothing like Coachella. It's a community of people looking to share with one another and radically express themselves in creative ways. Now, admittedly, We can't say it doesn't have a bit of a reputation for drawing some rowdiness and free-spirited fun, but that's really an all-too-simple reduction of what Burning Man truly is. It has been described as an opportunity to test your limits, do something new, find your tribe, have a deeply spiritual awakening, or completely transform your life. We really create an event, the Burning Man event, in a temporary city in which all of our citizens actually bring what they love and share it with others in the spirit of gifting. And so every citizen really is the main act. So we don't refer to it as a festival. We really refer to it as a temporary city, a Black Rock city. And the event that that takes place in it is uh, Burning Men. Historically, cities were developed by communities that were drawn to certain regions for resources or trading access. But obviously, the more people who gather, the more you have need for urban patterns or an organized design that offers better wayfinding, convenience, and cohabitation. However, it probably goes without saying that most cities that have adapted these urban patterns and built public structures are intended to remain pretty permanent. Black Rock City is unique in that its draw to gather had nothing to do with resources or access, made clear by the decision to be in the middle of the desert, but instead is centered around shared values. The other potentially obvious differentiator is that this city is temporary. It's not only completely deconstructed, but it's nearly if not completely erased from the desert as is required by the Bureau of Land Management. Bryant Tan, Planning and Placement Manager for Burning Man, has a deep understanding of the design and layout of Black Rock City and how it's taken shape. My name is Bryant Tan. I uh, go by level on the playa and I'm the Burning Man placement manager for Black Rock City, which means we help put all the people and all the camps and all the things except for art in their place. It was 1997 when Burning Man didn't get a permit to have the event in the Black Rock Desert and instead went to a neighboring playa called the Hualapai Flat. You know, the Black Rock Desert itself is so huge that we have a really blank canvas to figure out how to design this. And there was an architect named Rod Garrett who came up with the initial plans and, you know, really took from 1997 and said, hey, let's bring this back to the Black Rock Desert, you know, the following year. So that starts with, you know, laying out a perimeter fence that looks like a Pentagon. And then it goes to things like building the man. Every year, the man's situated in the same spot. To the very center of the city, it's at the very center of that Pentagon. From there, we also have similar locations for some important landmarks like a temple that's built. We have a, a structure called Center Camp, which is sort of like the civic center of Black Rock City. 
We have plazas that people are familiar with at three o'clock and nine o'clock. So there's an overall framework that we do build. A lot of the materials and things that go into it actually are reused year after year. Of course, we can't reuse the man because we burn him every year and we don't reuse the temple because that's also burnt. But a lot of the same materials are brought in and, and stored. As Stephen mentioned before, attendees of Burning Man or Burners bring something to share in the spirit of gifting. The power of your experience lies in your participation, and you can do so by joining a camp, volunteering, or making art. As a burner, you are a co-creator of the city and are part of the collective experience. But before you book your next nine-day vacation there, a big part of the Burning Man experience is surviving. You're subject to the extreme conditions of the desert, and you'll be up against heat waves, dust storms, and cold nights. You are expected to bring everything you need for food, water, and shelter for your entire stay, and take back with you every single thing you brought, including your trash. Your money is no good here, except for ice. And instead, everything is based on gifting. There are countless art installations and participatory offerings to take in, and there's just about every space type you can think of in Black Rock City. There's libraries, there's meditation and healing spaces, there's sort of outdoor music and dance venues, everything from bad advice booths to movie theaters, jazz clubs like roller discos, cafes and, and tea houses, pancake breakfast places. There's a DIY bike repair place and tool lending library. There's, there's like, there's so many things. We even have to have two post offices that are run by members of the community to deliver things within the city. I feel like you name it, it's there. <laughs> I think people who've been to the event, some of the standards are right. There's uh, clearly lots of bars, lots of dance parties, lots of yoga classes and educational workshops and things like that. But you also have little hidden gems of like someone trying to do something uh, that they've never done before. And, you know, what, whatever it is, I'm not going to give you even examples of it because I think that that's the type of space that it is. There's a phrase that people say the playa provides because no matter how well you prepare, people think that you get out there and you're like, wait a minute, I forgot this thing or I just didn't, you know, or at this moment in time, I'm really feeling like a certain thing. and. Voila, it appears. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that's part of the serendipity and part of what we try to not overly curate because you have no control over what uh, people do and bring. So we have all kinds of public space types that make up Black Rock City. And we know that there's a committed urban design that keeps things like the man and civic centers in the same location each year. But basically, everything else, the personal camps, the bars, is up for grabs. So I'm interested in what or who is guiding these design decisions about space and placement. I think that our 10 principles, uh, I think they were established in, when was it, 1994, 2004? 2004, they were written down by our co-founder, Larry Harvey, in 2004, really as guidelines for our growing and newly formed regional network. But they are briefly, and your listeners can check them out on our website and really encourage them to read them because they were written with a complexity that requires critical thought and a trade-off among them. So no one principle will do. And in some ways, they suggest a social agreement and a social architecture that's reflective of sort of the best parts of the experience that emerged uh, between 86 and 2004 and were described in a way to help the experience scale in other places. They are 
radical inclusion, participation, gifting, decommodification, which means we stand really in, in contrast to making culture and human relationships a product, radical self-reliance, radical self-expression, communal effort, civic responsibility, leaving no trace, which actually goes beyond leaving no trace to also seeking to leave a positive trace wherever possible. And finally, immediacy, which in some ways is a state of being that allows all the others to unfold. And from a design perspective, I think participation by our citizens in this bottom-up approach is quite unique. But what else would you add to that level? I think that you know, we never really apply them as hard and fast rules, especially because there are tensions between several of them. I think communal effort and civic participation look different than radical self-reliance, right? Like if I have my own idea and I have my own tools to do that, I'm going to do it. And we have a space for that. At the same time, we have a conversation that happens throughout the year where people can comment on that. Like, I thought your design was terrible or that thing looked really unsafe or I didn't feel welcome and included. That's another principle. And I think we really try to, you know, democratize it as much as possible to say, you know, we're here to create a canvas and build the framework for people to be able to bring, you know, really wonderful things. I think it's obviously very challenging, even in the design industry, to try to strike this balance of principles in our projects. I immediately think of principles that have really been spotlighted this past year, like equity, accessibility, and sustainability, just to name a few. Designers are really expected to juggle all of these and use discernment on how to implement them appropriately. And sometimes it does feel like a little bit of a give and take. But I think there can sometimes be a sense of pressure to incorporate all of these design considerations perfectly because there's a permanency to a constructed building, right? Once it's built, changing something is often expensive, if not completely unfeasible. But what I'm interested in is the not-so-permanent aspect of Black Rock City. It's quite interesting that the urban design was loosely formalized in 1997, but each year we have an opportunity to tweak the design, to do things, for example, like change the width of the streets or to add more plazas, to add more social surface area, to really increase the probability of the kinds of experiences that our citizens want to have in the city. So really from an urban planning perspective, it's sort of a dream scenario in which you can improve and tweak your design annually, starting fresh each time. Yeah, every year we come together, there's a city design, city planning committee that assesses do we want to try anything new things this year? Do we try anything new last year that we want to change? Were there places where things didn't work out so well? So we evaluate that every year. Interestingly enough, I feel like when I joined those meetings, I, you know, I think I'm trained in urban planning. I love thinking outside the box. And I think that I'm always pitching, hey, let's add more plazas. Let's do this. Let's widen this block. Let's cut away this block. Let's make the blocks different shapes and sizes and lengths and widths. I get faced with a lot of uh, pushback because logistics are a huge part of how we think about it too. A lot of people feel like, wow, Burning Man's so amazing. You can be so creative and you can, but there still are limits. You know, and I think that some of those logistical limits are part of it. Imagine if instead of completing a design project and moving on, you could return to it annually to discover if any changes would improve the function of the space. I just lost so many designers right now who are imagining the revisit to their worst project and hit the stop button. 
No thanks. One time was enough. All good. But really, how often do we reach the final phase and wish we could have incorporated that last idea? If you had the opportunity to start from scratch again, would you take more creative risks? An iterative design process allows you to test ideas at a rapid pace over and over again until you've reached a solution. The benefit being that you don't have to go through the expensive cost to see if your concept will work. This is where many architects have harnessed 3D printing technology to build these preliminary prototypes in the studio and assess whether the concept could be a viable solution. Architects have traditionally built physical models to visually communicate their ideas in painstaking detail, but 3D printed models could be a key to developing solutions quickly at the intersection of digital modeling and physical fabrication. It's also a way to embrace an iterative design process where failure is progress. We provide a forum for people to really make things and learn what works and what doesn't work, which is why so many in our community are also makers or identify with the maker movement in addition uh, to being thought of as artists, for example. I like to think of us really as a, a city of prototyping and experimentation and innovation and play and a place where imagination can take many forms. And over the years, people have gotten better and better and better at doing things. For designers, we have many people that will come and bring a new technology to the playa, bring it out to play with it in a way, see how it breaks, rebuild it, and then apply it in the real world. And in many cases, there have been people that have designed better tents that have they've taken later to market. So I love that we can offer a platform for everybody from urban planners to inventors and designers uh, and artists to come and experiment and really push their imaginations and ideas to limits. And honestly, I'll also throw in that my hope is that through that process of iteration, that people coming to our temporary city can actually help better address the great challenges of our time, including things related to global warming, including better ways of being together in cities. As we move beyond the pandemic and ask architecture to respond to the ever-growing social, economic, and environmental challenges of our time, it may require designers to design with a bit of uncertainty. We can't always predict the future challenges that are heading our way. But what we do know from the last two years is that we need adaptable solutions faster than ever before. Perhaps our most forward-thinking design concepts should be tested in a place like Black Rock City that is upheld by principles like Radical self-reliance, inclusion, and leave no trace. One thing Burning Man has definitely figured out is how to continually draw people together. I'll tell you, I've been in involved for over 25 years now, and I have watched this thing go from a local Bay Area artist's reunion in the desert to a kind of Olympics of human expression in which we have people coming from cities and countries around the world, bringing some of their local traditions, ideas, creativity, and culture into our temporary city. So I really think of Black Rock City as a city of cities in dialogue with one another. And then all those people come to our little temporary city 
which they call home, by the way, which is both beautiful and kind of messed up because why should they call our temporary city home when they come from cities where their their ancestors are buried, where they work, where they live year round, where their families are. They are getting something in our little temporary city that they are not getting in their year round cities. And that is really troubling to me and a challenge, I think, for all of us to really think about. What aspects of this temporary city that people love so much can be applied to our year-round cities and should? That's why, honestly, please, like urban designers, mayors, people thinking about city and daily life, engage in the experiment with us. Become our citizens for a year and, you know, steal the best ideas that exist there to apply to civic life in daily life. That's my invitation and challenge. I think that something really wonderful about Burning Man is that we not only get to experiment and try and iterate, but people can actually, there's a democracy to it where people can say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you tried this? And I think we're quite receptive to that. You know, in regular cities, you have to go to the planning department and the planning commission and there's neighbors. Some of the spaces I love most in, I live in San Francisco, some of the spaces I love the most are, are open spaces and spaces that people in the city have actually dedicated to, to prototyping. And I'd love to see that more in all cities. You know, when you have an empty parking lot, what do you do with that? Don't just wait till the next developer figures out a plan over several years to build a condo on it. Maybe actually make it a food truck space or a space to have poetry readings every Friday, whatever it is. You know, I think that there's a way we really actively think about the activation and how most of Black Rock City is public space. And if we thought about that, that's such a different way to think about regular cities. When we're talking about what are the principles of our design, I'm constantly injecting like, hey, how can we bring more people together? What are other shapes of space that we can bring together? People right now are plazas are circular. What if it was a triangle? Let's try that out here. You know, like, let's see. And that could be a lesson that one then gets applied into the real world. I've been very disappointed that so many of our cities seem to be functioning more as real estate investment products than really serving their deeper social and relationship building function. And I think that's a great gift that our city of art and relationship building and community building, which has been so successful, can really offer cities. Last year, we partnered with Ipsos Research to find out what 66% of employees said they missed most during the pandemic. It was connection. People missed feeling connected in those small, seemingly insignificant interactions that you can't replicate on Zoom. Out of Zoom fatigue, we asked tough questions about our built spaces, like, how can you be designed to support belonging? How can you facilitate new ways of collaboration that includes both digital and personal attendees? How can interactions, whether intentional or serendipitous, be nurtured by things like furniture, finish selections, and the function of space? But something I think every business owner is asking right now is how do we keep people engaged? What will make employees want to participate in the company culture? I was just looking at, we're trying to update our participation forms for 2022 and thinking about 
what are the criteria we want to look at to help camps establish, to have artists and build art. And for both of our forms, interactivity is like the number one criteria. It is not just about aesthetics, it's about interactivity. And I think that bringing together people, having people not see art as just something you hang on a wall or have a perimeter around that you can't touch, having spaces uh, where people live be open living rooms that people should be able to walk into and really engage with each other is key to how we design the city and think about Burning Man as an experience. I think that really sets us apart from so many other things, even regular cities, right? There's a lot of protective space, gates, walls, things like that, that people are trying to build to keep people out. And I think that we're really trying to say, come on in, like, come on in. You're, you're one of us, you know, participate. You can build art next year too. And I think that's also something that a lot of urban planners are quite interested in is how the, and city administrators, how do you get people to be so engaged in co-creating the city and bringing all of the, these experiences, really bringing all of the content to the frame of the city that our placement team and city planners just put in place. We just put together really the frame as Level was describing and our community does everything else. And I think that does come back to, you know, our, our principle of participation in particular. You know, if I can read a little bit of that, it says that our community is committed to a radically participatory ethic. And we believe that transformative change, whether in the individual or in society, can occur only through the medium of deeply personal participation. And we achieve being through doing. There's a very strong experiential aspect to the work that we do in the world, uh, honestly, and how we build community through shared experience. It continues that everyone is invited to work, everyone is invited to play. We make the world real through actions that open the heart. And that participation and I think bottom-up approach to letting people even build their own structures and their own camps and to assume responsibility for them as co-creators of the city is, I think, one of the more interesting aspects. the world real through actions that open the heart. Everyone is looking for authenticity in our workplaces, in our schools. What would it look like for designers to create spaces that support actions that open the heart? Perhaps it would look like spaces that allow you to be more connected to nature. But maybe it has more to do with how the design of those spaces support people, specifically community building. Maybe the open and honest conversation you have with a friend at Starbucks has something to do with the soft lounge chair you're sitting in that invites you to lean closer, or the smell of freshly brewed hot coffee that warms your soul, or the nostalgic warm paint colors that surround you. We know how much engaging the senses matters, particularly when it involves emotional participation. How can our furniture solutions, finish selections, and access to nature influence the way humans interact with one another? Again, I wish that there was more emphasis on how can we build healthy and mutually supportive relationships back into our year-round cities. 
You know, I think about how real estate has become so expensive, for example, that we've removed the couch and chairs and seating areas that used to be on each floor in an apartment. You know, there were social spaces where people could meet one another, meet their neighbors. And now people don't even know their neighbors. I'm really hoping that as the population ages in the U.S., that things will go back to a little bit more of communal architecture, where people are sharing kitchens and dining areas again. And I see that happening already. But yeah, we place all of the emphasis really on how can there be healthy and positive social experiences? How can imagination be a part of that? And that does inform the tweaks that Level and his teammates make each year on the size of the streets, how many plazas, the shape, how to try to get people to actually be more in relationship with one another. So if you've ever attended Burning Man, you may have heard the phrase safety third. Before taking part in the event, burners must sign a waiver explaining that you are assuming personal responsibility and risk by attending and participating in any and all events. Black Rock City is not an inherently safe place, given that you're in the middle of the desert and are subject to all kinds of extreme weather conditions. However, rather than creating an excessive focus on safety that might detract from the satisfaction of the experience, Black Rock City allows its citizens to decide for themselves which risks are necessary to encounter and overcome. Let me first say that we are concerned with personal safety, but we ask people to be responsible for their own safety much more than I think a traditional city might do. And that allows people to experiment and to prototype more rapidly and to try new things. You know, it's kind of a joke to say safety third. It's more that we don't want to be Disneyland where every possible risk has been removed from your experience, and you will get a consistent product experience every time. And you don't even have to think, not to speak entirely negatively of Disneyland, that's just not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is to provide a space where people feel their own autonomy and responsibility. And what we actually do as city planners is try to minimize unanticipated danger so, for example, we do take a look at climbable structures and we do require large climbable art pieces to be signed off by an engineer because we don't want people to assume unforeseen risks that they might not know about, such as risk of a collapsible st structure that has not been built strongly enough. However, we allow people to assume personal risk. And, you know, you see versions of that in, in cities. Actually, I, I had this conversation re recently with a design group that's looking at the 50-year plan for Amsterdam. And I had this conversation with a lot of different urban planners that say, well, you know, like, I wish we, we could do that. And part of the problem, I think, is that we over control the amount of risk that somebody can have because we're, we live in a litigious society. But I look with, with great wonder and potential at what we've done with things like skate parks in cities. Skateboarding is risky. People break arms and limbs all the time. But when you step into that zone, you know you are assuming personal responsibility and taking a risk. And I often wonder if cities could be thinking more about creative cultural incubator spaces in similar ways, because in those spaces, 
in our art spaces where they're in major cities that often function as the same kind of exploratory, creative culture and idea design incubation spaces, many cities don't know what to do with them. They're like, how do I code you? How do I zone you? You know, you've got light industrial, you've got uh, art openings, you've got all ages programming, you've got, you know, stuff I, I don't know what to do with. And you know what? If that's happening in your city and spaces like that are functioning in a way that is building community with an open door policy, you should be doing everything possible to enable those kinds of spaces because that's what makes our, our cities so innovative and culturally rich and diverse. There's an ongoing tension between the idea of safety and freedom that has long been a topic of conversation amongst designers, psychologists, educators, and parents, really. How much freedom can be given before jeopardizing safety? How much safety inhibits learning opportunities and self-advancement? There isn't a right answer here, truthfully. And as designers, we tend to lean more towards safety when it comes to the built space, for good reason. Building codes are crucial in upholding values of health, accessibility, and quality in the built environment. On top of that, we can't ignore how the pandemic has revolutionized our notion of what safety looks like in our indoor spaces. There even seems to be a bit of residual perception that interior environments are unsafe, possibly even threatening our health and well-being due to lack of access to quality, clean air. Instead, Many feel safest in outdoor environments, and places like New York are racing to reimagine their streetscapes with outdoor dining and outside programming. So what does a balance of these two principles of safety and freedom look like, especially now? It seems almost silly to explore offering more freedom in this current cultural climate, but enabling more freedom doesn't always need to come at the cost of safety. We'd like to offer you an alternative viewpoint. There is something about, you know, kind of walking to that edge of your own limits and what you think is safe or not and testing that. That's really exhilarating and really fun and can work out really well. I just remember my first years at Burning Man and you don't realize what that safety net is. And I think that that part of the reason people can joke and say safety third is because we've been able to make that so invisible, but so present. And that's, I don't know. If we could figure out how to do that in every city, like that would be magical. But I think that that's part of the mission of what Burning Man is trying to do. Not only are we trying to build art in the world, not only are we trying to democratize spaces, but we're trying to change the way people interact with each other. Let's see each other as people. Let's see that you're a valuable person for being on this earth right now with me. And let me help you out if you need help, you know? And I think, you know, you'll never see that on a picture of a magazine about Burning Man. But that's, I think, what hooks people in and, and helps people realize there's something really special here. In 2015, Harvard Graduate School of Education's Project Zero collaborated with the LEGO Foundation on a research project titled Pedagogy of Play. This project is in its final years of research and has been mostly conducted at the International School of Billund in Denmark. One of the experiments of this ongoing study involved the paradox concerning rules and play. Teachers Marina Benevente Barben and Carolina Ayala hypothesized that the rules they expect their kindergartners to abide by on the playground may in fact be inhibiting their ability to learn. 
To test this theory, they created green freedom bracelets and explained to the students that upon wearing them, they only need to follow two rules. One, we take care of each other. And two, we take care of the materials on the playground. When they observed the children playing, they found that most of the former rules that were in place were immediately broken, but there were no injuries. They also found that the children made their own safety rules and required less supervision. Finally, the teachers noted that the kindergartners felt trusted and asked for their input on their plans. Overall, the children were happier, there were less incidents, and no material or trees were damaged the entire week during this test. When trying to understand safety and freedom, I don't think it's an either-or conversation because both are non-negotiable. Instead, perhaps we explore how different balances of the two may be appropriate for certain design situations. Perhaps it's idyllic, but I believe that what Burning Man and the students in Denmark show us is that when the safety of your fellow man originates from authentic care and concern rather than rules, more freedom can exist for everyone in safe and meaningful ways. What does that mean for designers? When you design from a place of true empathy, of true concern for all types of people who will occupy your space, the probability that you will in fact surpass the minimum building code's definition of safety and offer an even more safe, more equitable, and more inclusive space is quite high. Dare I say that spaces like these may in fact be what propels the connection we are desperately in need of and make interior spaces safe once again. That's one of the hopes behind Black Rock City's future permanent space, Fly Ranch. I think what's probably appropriate is a little background first. Fly Ranch was purchased by Burning Man Projects. It's been close to 10 years. A lot of people had ideas about it. People were like, okay, that's that could be a permanent home for the Burning Man event. But Laggy is the Land Arts Generator Initiative. They were an independent nonprofit that held design competitions throughout the world. And there were a couple hundred submissions. And many of those ideas were really wonderful, even though there was like one identified winner and I think 10 or so finalists. The, the central criteria there was that it was regenerative and also trying to adapt other things that we're talking about Black Rock City, like we want to bring people together in these spaces. So there's some that feel like, oh, you could have a meeting in here. Like this is a little hole in the ground that you can have a meeting in, you know? And so those kind of principles remain in a permanent space. But I think ultimately we know that that's not permanent either. We're only stewards of the land for this moment in time. And I think we're very cognizant that this land also was indigenous land. And we try to build as a strong relationship with the local Paiute tribe and folks that know the land even better than us. And so that's, that's all that is woven into Fly Ranch. I'll just add that we are really looking at how this can be an example of, of how art, thinking about humans' regenerative relationship with nature in a post-carbon fuel world and healthy social relationships can all interact. The top 10 designs are all at loggy2020flyranch.org. And there's many truly elegant and smart and interesting designs. Lodgers was the project ranked highest by the jury and is by MIT-based duo Zoo and Moon. And that's an educational space made from reclaimed timber and thatch that incorporates com compostable toilets and other aspects. And 
interestingly, they used as kind of a script generating parametric design to create the shapes of the lodger's buildings, which will include habitat elements such as birdhouses and beehives for some of the species that are already there, but that will help them thrive more. I really encourage people to check out the projects because they're really quite imaginative. And this is us taking what we have learned about creating a temporary city that is about prototyping and innovation and experimentation and bringing it in relationship to a permanent location. And it's interesting because more and more members of our community globally are beginning to purchase land and create spaces for social engagement that also have the goal of being regenerative and being good stewards of the land. I'll end on the reiteration of Stephen's challenge to designers, architects, and city planners to come steal BlackRock City's best ideas. We certainly believe that there are several ideas that are worth considering for our urban cities and architectural landscapes. Perhaps the buildings that have been shuttered by the pandemic, like shopping malls, retail stores, and offices, could become an open space for prototyping different designs that could benefit the community. Such spaces could have great potential for solving new and complex challenges presented to society. Some of the biggest right now revolving around climate change. I know I'll be eager to look at their playbook on the construction of Fly Ranch as a self-sustaining example of regenerative architecture in an almost uninhabitable desert. But maybe one of the greatest ideas to explore within Burning Man is its knack for bringing people together and embracing radical participation. While this event is known to test limits and push the boundaries of the human condition, it offers a different kind of safety that exists within community alongside its regulatory efforts. Perhaps we as designers should all wear freedom bracelets that encourage us to care for the welfare of our neighbors in a time where not many people know who their neighbors are. A big thank you to Stephen and Bryant for their insight and conversation. To check out the 10 Principles of Burning Man and design submissions for Fly Ranch, check out our show notes. This podcast is brought to you by Kimball International. Thanks for listening.